2: Welcome to French Studies at the New Books Network. I'm your host, Annie Desessore, and today it is my great pleasure to speak with Dr. Brian Valente-Quinn. Brian Valente-Quinn is an associate professor of Francophone African Studies at the University of Colorado Boulder. His research focuses on the interplay of performance with contemporary societal issues, and he is particularly interested in the cultural politics of theatrical performance and practices in West Africa and France. His book, Senegalese Stagecraft, Decolonizing Theater Making in Francophone Africa was published at Northwestern University Press in 2021. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Annie.
2: It's great to have you here. I'd like to start just by asking you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and what first sparked your interest in studying the French language and eventually Francophone studies?
1: Wow, sure. Yeah, that's a real origin story for me. Uh, So I... I grew up in in northern New Jersey, um, and I uh, was a student. I you know I, I became very interested in in French and Francophone cultures uh, when actually it really was in college, uh, when I, after a study abroad. You know I'd always I'd had this lifelong interest in in theater. And so deciding where I wanted to go uh, for a theater, for a study abroad program was uh, n- almost a no brainer for me because I was so interested in sort of French theater. Um, and so that, that's where it sort of picked up for me. Um, and, uh, you know, long story short, I wound up after my undergraduate years, uh, living in Paris for a number of years, uh, I sort of lived, um, I, I stayed there for, I went there to do an MA and I stayed for another sort of six years. Uh, just getting involved in the theater scene, doing, you know, whatever I could. I was what they call an intermittent du spectacle for a while, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and then um, eventually decided that, you know, I I, I knew I wanted to um, kind of come back to the States and work on a PhD. Uh, obviously, I knew, always knew it was going to be a theater topic. But, uh, you know, through the years discovering, uh, it was really discovering this sort of Francophone African Playwrights that I became more and more interested in going in that direction. And especially having read the one that really changed everything for me was Sonia La When I first read La Parenthèse de Saint, I thought, wow, it just really blew my mind. And then from there, I just kept going further and further into it. Uh, and, and that's how I wound up sort of taking this on as a specialization.
2: Yeah, you anticipated my next question because I wanted um, – you You talk about your role in performance in this book, which is one of the things I loved about it. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but I was curious if you had this background in performance and theater before coming to the project, which it sounds like you indeed did um, – And it's interesting to hear you talk about the French space because, you know, having done studies in France, long studies in France myself, there's this whole discipline of les arts du spectacle, which doesn't really, you know, translate into the U.S. So I can see that informing your project. Um, I'm curious how, so you talked a little bit about this play that was a a part of your research origin story. So how did you come to focus on Senegal in particular um, for your research?
1: Right. Yeah. So uh, in my kind of reading of, uh, you you know, what what I was really, excuse me, what I was really interested, one of the things that really sort of captivated me about Francophone African theater and the the authors who were sort of part of that movement is how they were really um, kind of, uh, I would say, with every play, you know, because of their sort of positioning uh, as, you know, within the Francophone world uh, and within the art sort of that they were engaged in. Uh, they were almost having to ask, answer the question with every play that they write, kind of what is theater? What is it for? What does it do? You know, what makes this theater? And whether those are questions that are asked by the author themselves, or if those are questions that are kind of asked by the work, by readers or by viewers. And so uh, in digging up kind of the history, I came uh, of, of, you know, at, at the background of Francophone African theater, I came to this story of the of Ecole the William-Ponty, which uh, was a training a school in, in, in Senegal uh, that um, trained kind of the teachers and the interpreters and the clerics uh, that would form during those sort of colonial years, the future elite of the different colonies of French West Africa. And learned, you know, as others have worked on this, um, that this was considered kind of uh, the origin point of Francophone African theater, because this is where uh, a, sp- a specific school director decided to organize this contest or this, these, these performances rather, uh, where the students of this school, you know, these very sort of bright and promising young students would put together original plays and, um, and present them. And that these students, after you know, this was in the sort of interwar period And so the timing was perfect for at the time of independence for these to also go on to become the presidents and politicians and and sort of intellectuals of their independent countries when that actually happened in, you know, post 1960. And so this story of this school really fascinated me as somebody, of course, we're all very involved in education and Mm. language learning, since this was also kind of a language tool as well. Um, and so I, I really wanted to dig in deeper to that. So that's what drove me to go to Senegal to try to see the school and see what I could find. and I had the opportunity luckily I was able to speak to a few of the surviving Ponte school uh, Ponzi students of the time uh, and for you know to talk to them about their experience, which sort of added a little bit of oral history to the project and and uh, and that's that's kind of how it how it went from there. I just decided to sort of focus on this national context because I, I realized that there there was you know in going and in talking to the theater sort of crowd there, I realized that there was a lot going on actually, not just in terms of this you know history, but also in a contemporary context that was not that was not getting enough attention. So,
2: yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I want to get back to that kind of question of the. Link between French, the French colonial project and theater in, in Senegal in, um, specifically that you delve into in that Ponti's story and then moving forward uh, through history. But another thing I wanted to discuss first is that this um, this thing that struck me about your book is how diverse these forms of performance really um Are Um, you know our listeners might be thinking about theater kind of in this this classical sense of a stage with a director and an audience you know sitting in in the dark with that has bought a ticket. Um, Could you speak a little bit about the the overview of the types of performance that you study in this project and why you chose to include them um, in your conceptual framing of theater in Senegal?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question. Um, uh, you, part of uh, one of the sort of um, approaches that I wanted to take in the book, and one of my reasons for wanting to write it was because I was finding that despite the lively theater scene in Senegal today and and, and for a long time now, uh, there weren't uh, many, for example, if you were to put together a, um, Uh, If you were to put together an anthology of contemporary Francophone African playwrights, I don't know which Senegalese authors would be included, you know, Mm. talking about contemporary authors, people who are working today. Even though there is a, a lively sort of Francophone African theater scene, you know, with authors from other places, but not somehow for some reason from Senegal. And this was kind of why I chose as my angle, my sort of theoretical angle to talk about what I called the stagecraft behind theater itself. And I think about that idea of stagecraft as the art of actually assembling a stage space and sort of. the rules that govern that stage space and the different publics that are brought together at that space Mm -hmm. as a kind of work of art that precedes the actual content of the play. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that includes also the sort of social, political, economic factors involved. Um, And so in doing that, if you, if you take it from just that perspective from that approach, uh, as you say, there are all these different forms that are not necessarily simply text based or that, don't have any published plays that sort of follow them or precede them uh, that uh, that we can study, right? And so part of that uh, it, that goes back as well to the to the this this episode of the sort of Ponty school where there were these stagings of, for example, uh, aspects of folklore. Students were asked to stage aspects of their own sort of. Uh, their own culture which was presented in this sort of like for folkloric mode right mm.
2: uh,
1: and or or they were asked to stage kind of histories of their of the dissident leaders of their respective countries for example um, now what's kind of <clears throat> ironic about that is that they're being asked in or encouraged really to put on these kind of stagings as forms of like as as representative entities of those cultures. They were seen as sort of somehow representing a kind of African mind or mindset, right? That was the mm. colonial reading of these works back in the interwar period at, at places like Ponty, and even afterwards. Um, uh, but in fact, what was not necessarily recognized what, was that these were pretty innovative in their own right. You know, even back then, these playwrights were coming up with new ways to think about things like audience engagement or how to stage a story or, uh, or the different sort of layers of the layers of story that you can include within a play, right. Or come sort of coming in, there's, there's a use of mise en abime and things like that, that of course isn't being thought of in a poetic sense. It's being thought of as a kind of, representation of authentic African culture. that was kind of the colonial discourse. So I tried to look at it, you know, with different eyes, if I could, you know, as well as I could, you know, from a contemporary perspective uh, to uh, think of it as kind of, if not avant-garde, at least fairly experimental and in- innovative, right, in, the, in its own right. Um, so that's uh, and then, you know, that sort of goes on to to different, different uh, kind of approaches to performance that have to do, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, uses of religious performance these sort of religious uses of the stage as well. Television is a kind of offshoot of theater, popular theater uh, and, and also popular theater, which is something that has been studied quite a bit in a, in a West African context or African context, but not so much for Senegal specifically.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for that. We'll get into those other examples that you evoke, but um yeah, that question of cuz you discuss um kind of alienation, that kind of this experience of alienation in in these performances and how the in the in the theatre indigene in particular. Um and that's a theme you keep returning back to over and over, how they're, you know, asked to perform this kind of understanding of African identity that is in fact, you know, coming from a colonial Western perspective, but how they are, I did appreciate how you really show in that first chapter how they're resisting these forms by appro- kind of using their roles as actors to to um, to, to push back against them and kind of limited, but yet important ways and significant ways. So I really appreciate that tension that you have, that these, this colonial era can still be one in which this, you know, African theater, the Senegalese theater is, is is in the process of kind of forming itself and creating itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, and that's, I, I should mention that in, in talking about this, this specific, and especially in this first chapter, um, I'm kind of, Pushing back against certain interpretations that were I see as overly critical of this particular theater, uh, that suggested that it was kind of overly colonized, and this is part of a broader discourse as well on Francophone African theater in general, which is a discussion that's often had I think in in scholars of African among scholars of African theater and performance of. Why is why are the francophone theater makers across Africa still so French in a way? You know these authors that we know of uh, are, are 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 very experimental. They they can be avant-garde, but they're still creating and performing and also distributing their work along very French sort of modes and networks, right? And so why can't they be more like a place like Ghana or Nigeria, where you have all these different hybrid forms of things like Yoruba Opera or uh, things like Concert Party, which bring together a kind of Western influence along with other sort of popular local forms and that draw huge crowds. You know, Why, why don't you see that so much? You know, it almost seems to some people that in Francophone Africa, people have been less creative with the form itself. And so that's what I was trying to push back on a little bit by suggesting first that um, there there are actually very sort of inventive uses of the form uh, that haven't received much attention because you sort of have to be there to see it. They don't leave any traces afterwards. Um, and also mentioning, for example, in the historical examples, which I talk about the, the Ponty School, also the sort of Centre Cultural of the 1950s in this part of the continent, um, that there is something sort of creatively alienating about this as if gesture that is inherent in in stage play, which is that whereas the colonial gaze is seeing them as merely reflecting something that's authentic and natural about themselves, the actors and creators are very aware of the fact and conscious, and, and they're using this, of the fact that they're they're behaving on stage as if they were the people that they're that they're representing, right? And that leaves them a space for uh, not only kind of poetic, a certain poetic license, but also and a certain amount of creativity as well, but also a space to do a little bit of political imagining about what their role is uh, within this new social context that's sort of evolving as they're creating. And this is happening, you know, in the context of French colonialism, and also in the 1950s, when there are all these sort of political experiments with the French Union to see if France could somehow still hold on to its territories without calling them colonies. And so these elite were sort of thinking about their place within that and experimenting with the idea of being both somehow French and African. And that is where they get kind of called colonial, like they have these people who, these sort of colonized intellectuals. But I found that in doing the reading of it, you find that there's never anyone, you know, there's actual debate taking place here. No one has ever ever fully convinced <laughs> that this is going to work or sold on the idea or trying to sort of propagate some sort of, you know, colonial discourse about, about a Francophone African identity, right? It is an actual genuine experimentation that's taking place through this stage. And so that's that's sort of... I, I'm sorry, I don't even remember the question, but I sort of went off on a tangent here.
2: Oh, but it, <laughs> you took it in a much more interesting direction Actually. than I had <laughs> could have imagined. No, but I, I, I really... A, you know was find that fascinating and kind of this idea of the theater as experimentation and how that's framing um you know you frame these concepts in your in your introduction and also your approach to how you're analyzing um, these different examples of performance and so I'm wondering if you could speak more about that because you know as a as someone who kind of has a, a literary background I know you do as well I came before I started reading this book, I was imagining, you know, that you would have big chunks of dialogue that you would analyze and interpret in this kind of like literary way that we're trained to do um, research. But you're really kind of pushing back against this, um, kind of these strictly disciplinary approaches to theater. And and you, you're using tools of literary analysis, but also cultural history, um, anthropology, and of course, performance studies. So your Your book is truly interdisciplinary in the in this regard. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about how you brought in these different disciplines in in when you were doing your your research, which involved a lot of field research, on the ground um,
1: research. Yeah, that's 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 right. Thank you. And the um, uh, what you just described—the first thing you described of of wanting to include, you know, lots of dialogue and getting deep into textual analysis—in fact, that was exactly the idea that I had when I started working on this, and that was my plan. It was to do a project that very much resembled that, as somebody coming, um, you know, although I have this theater background, but you know, my training through grad school and everything was more in literary studies, um, so but you know it was when i when i actually started uh, you know in the process of of studying this history of the École de that i that that we talked about you know i started seeing and engaging more and more with a theater that was not very well served by that particular approach and that's kind of what forced me um, I say forced. In fact, it was a pleasure, and it was what I, you know, what I actually I did it because it's what I love to do. Is that that kind of theater background, you know, helps me hang around actors and theater people, and I kind of share a vocabulary and 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 love for what they do. That made it actually a real pleasure. Um, but um, you know, one of my, you know, there there was the the sort of need to add that interdisciplinary lens. Uh, there was also, you know, it also, and this, this led me to ask a number of questions as well that I still kind of sort of think about and work on is, uh, you know, I, I, I wound up engaging quite a, quite a lot with anthropology as well, as you said, uh, because I found that uh, when you're working, for some reason, when you're working on theater, contemporary theater in African contexts, you lose as a literary studies person, you all of a sudden lose your references, and you don't have many people to speak with <laughs> in our field um They are there, but there there are not many and 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 especially if they're sticking to strictly literary approaches, there's so much that gets lost. And so the people who are doing, I think, very interesting work on these questions, and there's, there's a lot of work in anthropology on this, uh, are, are the anthropologists. And, and so that allowed me to kind of take a pretty deep dive, I think, for a literary studies person into, into the work of anthropology on these questions of contemporary culture in African contexts. But it also made me ask the question of why is it, for example, for somebody who has this sort of larger francophone uh, background and perspective, why is it that when somebody does contemporary theater studies in France, it's theater studies, as you said, art du spectacle, or, or literary studies, but when you want to do the same thing in Africa, it automatically becomes anthropology, right? And what was very helpful for me in that, questioning was uh, that in anthropology there's of course a lot of discussion theoretically about this about the the, the complications of fieldwork the relationship between uh, the person doing the fieldwork and the so-called sort of object of the field work uh, and that helped me try to contextualize and conceptualize that as well as I could um, but my argument, in, in engaging with this anthropological literature is to say that, you know, this is, is of course, indispensable for what I was trying to do, but I also was trying to argue and point out that this remains something that, that has a poetic value that becomes undervalued, uh, if we leave it to the anthropologists and that, you know, I'm not saying this is any sort of battle cry against anthropology. It's just that, uh, I think in, if anything, it's, it's, um, It's a call for two things for people studying african uh african theater and performance to be more invested in cited approaches as well as a call to recognize the uh persistent inequalities that that, that that we deal with uh when we see that many of the african researchers who are based in these places who are very well positioned to carry out those kind of cited studies don't have the same kind of opportunities to publish and to, and to distribute their work. Um, so you're dealing with those very complex dynamics at the same time.
2: Right, right. Absolutely. No, but I, I, I love that. And as certainly as, you know, humanist literary scholars, we, we bring a unique, you bring a unique approach to, to these questions. And I think one that's, that's important, um, an important perspective to these debates. So I thank you for, for pointing that out. Um, again as um you know french kind of literary person i i also have to ask the question of language um so how is theater in senegal tied you know to the cultural politics of francophonie what is the role of the french language in in these performances and of course um you know in its relationship with Wolof and perhaps other African languages. And I'm curious about, it's clear that you have linguistic competency in Wolof uh, based on your, your book. Did you learn Wolof in the process of doing this research and how did you navigate these different linguistic spaces?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yes, that's right. So uh, that's part of the process when I, you know, discovered that I wasn't going to be able to do the kind of uh, literary based, you know, literary focused, um, a project that I was planning on, I realized. Well, there's all this interesting stuff going on, and I realized, oh man, this means that I'm going to have to learn Wolof. So I spent a number of years. Luckily, you know, I was able to get you know the kind of grants that and 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 the kind of time you need as a graduate student to do that seriously. And I was with people who were willing to work with me, and and uh, and so that I was able to access this uh, to a certain degree. And it's true that uh, in that sense, the book. Um, is is almost split between a kind of francophone part in the first three chapters and a more woolophone part in the last three chapters, and that's a bit artificial because um, and that is that is really, if anything, more just a, a, a reflection of my own sort of limits linguistically. Because there's more than just anyone who knows about Senegal will know than there that there's more than just wolof. Someone could have done something about theater in jola or in you know any of the other Senegalese languages. Um, but I also wanted to point out that uh, one of the, that's one of the things that seriously limits our ability to really appreciate the theater. You know, when people imagine Senegalese theater, they might imagine automatically, of course, the Théâtre National, which is this large theater that was, you know, sort of uh, um, inaugurated for the, the, for the Festival Mondial des Arts Nègres in 1965, so that it could be available in 66 for the festival. And that's this entire, you know, relatively well-known Francophone side of the coin, if you will, in Senegalese theater. But there is an entire, a concurrent and and also um, concurrent, excuse me, and also somewhat competing uh, approach to theater that is more uh, Wolof-based. And now in Senegal, it's 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 Senegal is a country where. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that uh, Frank, Fr- the French language doesn't dominate popular culture the way it might in other Francophone African countries, such as Ivory Coast, where you have the presence of so many different languages that Francophone just becomes the vehicular language because it's so convenient, right? Because it's the common language. In Senegal, really, Wolof has sort of taken over. And that has had as, as really the main language of the country. Now, there are many other uh, national languages as well, but Wolof is, is, has come to dominate. And that has had the effect of people being far more comfortable in Wolof than in French. So. You know, perhaps more so uh, than in other countries. If you were to do, uh, you know, a performance that's strictly French-based, that's only in French today, it, it would have it would have a large impact. But there would be significant populations that would be left out, and who benefit rather from from a kind of Wolof uh, stage approach, right? Um, and I wanted to point out that, um, you know, specifically, for example, this was something I was trying to mention in this. A chapter that I wrote about Murid uses of the stage. You know the Sufi brotherhood uh, in Senegal, which anyone who's been to Senegal will be familiar with. Um, the the Mourid is is a is a, is a or a, a brotherhood of a Sufi brotherhood in Senegal that's very important culturally and has this long and very well studied history. Uh, but what hadn't been studied at all was the use of the stage by the Morids at a very key point in their expansion to uh, a sort of um, spread the history of Moridism, the kind of ha- hagiography, if you want to call it that, of its founding saint, Shiarama Dubamba, Bamba, uh, and the, the usefulness of theater at this time, uh, it, which was, you know, shortly after uh, independence, Um, in spreading the Moorid movement, right? And that was a profoundly woolophone movement. Uh, Part of the success of that touring production that used the stage in kind of a pageant play sense uh, to show this sort of religious history of the Moorids, Um, Part of its appeal was that it was speaking to people in their language and in the sort of poetic language of one of the uh, one of the major Wolof poets who is who is connected with the Mooran movement, who is Musaka. Um, And so you have this other. Side uh, that, now, there's there's a lot, and I try I try to put a lot into this chapter, right? Because uh, there's a lot to be said, and I'm really getting out of my comfort zone here because I'm not a specialist of Islam or of Sufism or anything, but I do know about theater, and I do know that there was something profoundly uh, experimental going on in that particular production because it was integrating both the sort of conventional rules of popular theater or street theater, aspects of the kind of theater that you would have seen at the Ponte School in the Centre Culturel during the colonial times. But it included a sort of active use of the idea of mysticism and trance at the same time. So these things kind of coexisted. It's a kind of um, it's a, it's a it's a way of the stage to to sort of spread a story a way of using the stage to spread a story but also a sort of mystical use of the stage that was coexisting um and uh, and part of that so to come back to your question uh, was also part of the power of that actual production was also the fact that it's that it tapped into this wolof culture this wolofone literary culture
2: thank you yeah that was that chapter, the the Sufi, staging Sufi stories chapter, was one of the you know most compelling ones for me. It was it was a fascinating read. Um, so I'll just rebound off of your 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 mention of it because I was going to ask you to kind of describe these these mystical and spiritual practices around theater and performance. Um, you know you you talk about and this is also outside of my comfort zone but you talk about kind of the the bamba mosam and this understanding of you know to to what is it to see is to to taste or to taste is to know and so kind of this this notion of embodiment it you know is is for me is what jumped out that it's a theater that's kind of embodying a, a type of spiritual experience that also would sometimes lead to that kind of, kind of transfer of that experience to the audience. Um, And also I saw that you, it looks like you had participated in a documentary about this theater that's available online. I watched parts of it. Um, And it strikes me that there's also this important role of dance and music um, and audience participation in this tradition. So I'm curious if you could speak a bit more, more about that kind of embodied experience of theater that this, that this, um, performance offers and also how you I loved how you pointed out that this y- you you describe this as a news a new senegalese vision of performance that operates completely outside of these debates of Francophonie and you know colonial legacy and how is this theater responding or not responding to France it's just kind of outside of that entirely so um I'm curious if you could just elaborate a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. And this is something that I, I spent a good deal of time working on. And yeah, thank you for mentioning the documentary that we made on it that was kind of uh, made because the people who we were who were working with on this, and I say we because um, in order to make the film, I I enlisted the help of uh, of a co-director so who worked on the film with me, whose name uh, is Gino Canella, who, who is now at Emerson College. Um, and Uh, You know, I came to discover this production through kind of interviews in in talking to popular theater artists about what they do today. Uh, Several of them would mention to me, um, you know, uh, they would have to be, you know, old enough to have remembered it. uh, This production that they remembered because they would talk about, oh, well, we want to try to create something, you know, we'll, we'll use French, but we don't want to be completely colonized by the French still. So we have to find a sort of African way or a Senegalese way to do things while keeping our other influences. So those are debates that you know are pretty common and that are ongoing, right? Um, and in the Senegalese context, one reference that frequently came up was this show Bamba Mosham, where people would say to me, you know, there was this one production called Bamba Mosham, and it was incredible, and it did exactly the kind of thing we're trying to do because it really tapped into. Senegalese understandings of the stage and of, of, of what it means to perform. And, uh, and it, it was a huge success. That's what, that's what they would say. So the part of the envy was also that the ability to, be, to draw these huge paying crowds, cause people would pay for to come and see the show, which people don't do today for popular theater. They're usually, the, the funding is usually coming from outside, uh, in order to provide free shows for people kind of out in a public sphere, a public setting. Um, but, you know, uh, this was a show that, as I mentioned, I think already, that staged the sort of story and the, the, the life story and the miracles of the founding saint of the of the Murids, Sherama Bamba. And what really interested me about it, um, there were several things, but one of the main things was what you just mentioned was the embodiment aspect of it. Because uh, people who have studied the sort of iconography of Muradism have pointed out um, how the quality, and also Murads themselves, the image, the actual image of the Saint Shama du Bamba, which is an image that is taken from a colonial photograph, that's the only image that people actually have of of Bamba, uh, has a, a, a spiritual quality to it. Um, has the idea being that it has the ability to transmit the baraka of the saint, you know, so by looking at it, you're kind of, you're able to receive the baraka and there's this entire kind of worldview around that, right? And so uh, this has taken place, you know, in, you know, Mords are very influential in the music scene as well. Um, this has been studied in several, this phenomena has been studied in the context of several art forms, but my question was, okay, in theater, um, what happens when somebody actually has to stand in this, pl- in place of, of this saint, you know, how does that actually work in moridism? And it turns out that, you know, and I go over this, uh, you know, into detail in the chapter about that th- there turned out to be all these different sort of, um, you know, ways that they had, they had to find, you know, how to set the barbed wire in a certain way. So nobody would attack the people who were being mean to Bamba or, you know, how to, how to properly or sort of clearly establish the rules of engagement with the stage. It turned out that it was a very long process in the history of this kind of 15 year touring production that went, that went on. Um, But what, um, what I was interested in also exploring here with how, uh, this, is a, this is a play that no longer exists. Um, and it's questionable as to whether or not this practice would actually be accepted uh, in the Moored Brotherhood today. And, and many explained to me that it would be hard to imagine because there have been several sort of cultural changes within the Brotherhood itself, that that was of a specific time uh, when uh, culture and stage culture was being used in such a sort of permissive way uh in in attempts to sort of spread word as much as possible spread the word as much as possible around the country and it turns out that this it actually theater played a huge role in making in making wordism as 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 powerful and as influential as it is in senegal today
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Oh, that's
2: really interesting. And as I'm hearing you talk about this, um, I'm thinking of another Kind of conceptual framing of theater that you that you lay out in your introduction, which is this question of place. Um, and we've talked about then a little bit about you know focusing on the national tradition, but in this theater tradition that you're just describing, there is it's it's a touring company, so it's going to people, um, perhaps in rural areas, in in communities that maybe you know don't necessarily have access to theater spaces um, in the way that you one might in in Dakar, for instance, or in an urban setting. Um, so could you speak a little bit about um these different places of theater that your book explores? And 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 we talked a bit about the colonial era, but also um we haven't talked quite a bit yet about that post-colonial era and Senghor's presidency and kind of his understanding of theater as a part of his um, Nation building project, Pan Africanist vision, um, inspired by his, you know, um, attachment to Negritude, um, um, for instance. So, could you speak a, b- a bit about that, and also the transition that that your book, kind of the history that your book outlines, but uh, from this period of kind of state theater to other forms that are perhaps more local um, and um, less centralized.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, for sure. <clears throat> um, That's, you know, uh, there is this um, focus that, you know, in the sort of second half of my of my book here uh, uh, on these these um, sort of places, these these styles and these approaches that in Senegal are called sort of the unofficial theater. Uh, and and that's the term I I don't think I reproduce that in the book because it might not be the most helpful, but it, it's it was it's often talked about as official theater and unofficial theater, right? And what's meant by that, uh, you know, with people who will talk to you about theater, there is that um, one is part of this kind of national francophone um, approach to theater that is you know characterized by. Uh, the works uh, sort of um, promoted and funded by Senghor and the national government and so on and so forth that one might see at the national theater. And the other is, is more um, independent, I suppose you could say. Um, and for example, the, the Bambo Mosham, the show, the Murad performance I was just talking about, I think is one example of that because uh, they, were, they were a troupe that was based out of Kaulac, which is a very important place to talk about, place uh, for the religions, for the religious movements, the Sufi movements of Senegal. Um, but, and also a cultural, um, a very culturally important place in Senegal as well, Kaolac, that you had a lot of musicians, drummers, dancers coming out of Kaulac, The centre Culturel of Kaolac was very important. Um, but it's not the center, it's not Dakar. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were uh, they were sort of excluded from the big 1966 Festi- festival Mondial des Arts Negres <clears throat> that Senghor uh, and others worked to organize. Uh, and I think that 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 experience of exclusion pushed them really to take a different route, and they they managed to put their finger on a very very lucrative one and a very productive one. Uh, another was the uh, attempt. You know, there is this moment. Uh, you know. The, in, uh, in the sort of rise of national culture in Senegal, culture in, Sen- in Senegal, excuse me, uh, where you had uh, this very ambitious project in the Théâtre uh, National Daniel-Sorano, uh, which, as I mentioned, is founded, inaugurated in 1965, uh, and was supposed to, the idea was, it was supposed to absorb at least most of the students graduating from the National Conservatory that was also founded around that time. Um, Of course, that doesn't work that way. Eddie Wood could have told them that at some point you're going to have too many people. And so that happened. And so the, the first class that actually, the first class of students who finished and realized that they weren't and were told that they wouldn't be able to just become artists in residence for life at Daniel Serrano uh, were then pushed to form the private, what was called the théâtre privé, which is just a way of saying that it's private theater. It just means that it's not getting funding from the state. It needs to go out and find its own funding. They often did that through um, different sort of cooperative agreements with different culture, with, you know, different European countries. For example, the Belgians funded a lot of cultural projects, for example. Um, and so you had that movement, uh, which wound up actually um, producing some pretty, uh, pretty good theater companies that actually that toured a bit in the sort of francophone festival circuit, which still exists today. Um, as Senegal is not as present as it once was in that circuit of festivals that you'll have, for example, in Limoges has a yearly theater festival that tends to feature really francophone artists. And this is very very, very important uh, for Francophone uh, theater makers. Uh, other, other ones in places like Ouagadougou has Les Récréatral, or Abidjan has the Le Massa, which is the uh, big theater festival there. Um, and it was kind of that contemporary aesthetic that the private theater companies were aiming for, and they were operating outside of the state, still in French, because they were trying. They were selling themselves internationally, so it was an exciting time, actually, for those theater makers, because they were able to create smaller shows because they they were concerned with their budgets. You know, it wasn't like at know where they were making these huge national productions, um, but uh, they were new creations that they would be able to sort of tour. Uh, around the world, um, uh, and that um, was kind of undercut by the fact that although they could they could go to festivals internationally, they were they were not appealing to audiences at home <laughs> because they were in French and they were artsy fartsy, if I could put it in the least intellectual way possible. Um, they were not they were not to the liking of the public back home, right? Um, popular theater was so in a sense popular theater kind of killed the private theater the way video sort of killed the radio star uh in that uh popular theater uh is uh, a form of theater that really goes out in the streets That tends to be in uh, you know national languages so wolof or or another national language uh, and, and we'll be able to bring together audiences a, a bit better. Right. So you do have, so those are, that's a quick, quick, and very uh, sort of overly generalized uh, sort of idea of this dynamics going on outside of national theater. And and it's, it's important now because national theater in Senegal is really struggling. You know, the funding um, is, has been cut drastically, you know, the sort of, the frequently repeated story about this and it's true you know even though it's sort of repeated sort of ad nauseum is that this is tied tied to the structural adjustment programs that force the country to you know in exchange for loans um make a huge cut make huge cuts in national budgets and so this culture really the sort of sanguine vision of of a huge nationally funded cultural scene was really was really sort of Destroyed by that, I guess.
2: Right, exactly. Yes, I was. I was thinking about that as I was reading your book in the in the 1990s. Um, my um, colleague Amadou Fofana has kind of worked on this in the in the cinema, uh, the cinema. He has a documentary called Sen Cinema" where it talks about like the devastation of the funding cuts for Senegalese cinema, and to see kind of how that's impacting also the stage is something that you bring out in um, in your, I think, fifth chapter, um, and. But you also explore how that moment where we're kind of turning away from these big national, you know, like state funded national productions, festivals that are bringing together all these, you know, dignitaries from and performers from other Francophone and and African nations. You talk about this shift from the big screen to the small screen and the small screen on the television, but also even, you know, on maybe the cell phone. Um, So could you speak a bit about how that interplay between theater and television that you study in your book. I thought that was a really interesting idea of kind of expanding this concept of what, how, how you think about theater.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, so I think you set that up perfectly for me at least because, uh, it is tied to that kind of, that kind of phenomena that Amadou Fofana and others have, have studied in relation to cinema and other arts. Right. Um, and, um, uh, I, I, so in this sort of context of the sort of post structural adjustment period, I guess you could call it, uh, theater troops with theater troops trying to find, you know, sort of what they could, what they can do and how they can present their work. Uh, you had certain theater troops, especially in the, in certain neighborhoods, like the, the, the neighborhood of Medina in Dakar and a couple also in San Louis up, up in, in to the North of Senegal, um, sort of realizing that theater, that television rather, could be a very, very interesting option. And this is at a time, television arrived a bit late uh, in Senegal. So this was, you know, in the, it's sort of later, you know, in the 80s that it really kind of took off. Um, and um, and I think that this is something, you know, if, if you go to Senegal today, you will see that, uh, especially right now, I was writing this book, uh, when at a time when Senegalese television was having a moment and in fact that moment has continued um, it, it it is very well distributed relative in relative terms uh, in the region for example, you will see Senegalese television shows uh, on the TV uh, on TV channels you know around West Africa right they're they're becoming kind of uh, identified with the sort of these sort of soap operas you might call them but really they're they're uh, their, yeah, their television series. Um, uh, and so the, the practice of kind of watching TV shows of it being a part of what people talk about is, is very common and more and more so to this day. And the, 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 you have these television shows like which are kind of managing to export themselves a little bit, which is exciting for the Senegalese sort of cultural world, especially the people who I talk to, many of whom are actors. So these uh, training actors today and this is you know said with a very sort of wistful tragic tone in for for the theater artists of yesteryear uh, they don't aspire to act on the stage anymore what they want is to have to appear on the small 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 screen of the telephone right <laughs> because that's where the fame is really. Um, and so that's the exciting thing going on in terms of stage culture today in, in Senegal is, is, is perhaps television more than anything else. And I wanted to connect that to uh, another kind of moment that Senegalese TV had uh, in this period of the sort of late 80s, early 90s, uh, when the national television station used to play every week a kind of filmed theater production, right? Uh, which in fact was made for TV. So it was sort of in between theater and television. Um, and that was that was immensely popular. And in fact, very, uh, very interesting in the kind of stories they created. I argue that there are kind of uh, interaction with the sort of social realities and frustrations of a middle class in Senegal. That at that point, you know, almost 20 years or 20 years after independence, after being told that this was going to be their moment, you know, in an independent nation that was going to thrive economically, uh, finding it increasingly difficult to function, uh, be for because of government corruption, but also because of foreign intervention for a number all the, for a number of reasons. Um, that this sort of the TV shows uh, by troops like I, I talk at length about That I Kutch, which is a pretty well-known theater company, a television th- uh, troupe in Senegal. They're sort of voicing these frustrations uh, in, in different ways through stage stories that sort of talk about uh, the problems of corruption, the temptations of corruption, and the difficulties of gender relations, things like that. Especially, I was especially interested in this televised version of... Une si longue lettre of Maryamaba, which everyone in French studies knows that book very well, right? We teach it all the time to our students. It's, you know, I think American university students are probably. <laughs> You know, one of the main readers of that book, you know, and one of the things that really made it as canonical as it is. Um, but uh, so we know it very well. It's in Senegal. Most people will know that story through the TV show. Right. Because I put on a TV adaptation of it. Um, and so I, I was working on this chapter also at another interesting time from a media standpoint, because. Uh, you know, if I had done it 15 years ago, it would have been difficult for me to find just the tapes of it because uh, they're just not around. Now all this stuff is just available on YouTube. <laughs> People have just found ways. I don't know where they're getting the tape from, but they because they, they don't have them at the National Archives. They don't have them at the uh, RTS archives. I looked, um, but you can just watch it on YouTube. So that's that's creating a kind of revival of interest in in these old time, I'm making sort of quotes with my fingers here, these sort of old timer TV shows that were once a big hit, right? Um, So that's a messy answer to a a very good question. But yes, it's very much tied to the kind of uh, economic and social political concerns that you're talking about.
2: Right, right. No, I'm so glad you mentioned because I was thinking about this question of archive and audiovisual archive. And, you know, in in the cinema tradition, this is a big problem. Some films have just been lost um, because of this question of preservation. So as you were talking, I was wondering, how did he watch this? I imagined you in kind of a, you know, a a room in some dark corner, but... Turns out, okay, on YouTube. That's yeah, that's no, great. That's fantastic.
1: All the myth, but I was doing it from Boulder, <laughs> Colorado on YouTube. You know, that was the one thing. You know, I, I I had the the pleasure of meeting a number of the actors there and talking to them and engaging with them about about um, you know their experience and their work both. You know, I know, uh, you know, a few, a number of sort of actors who are in these sort of contemporary series uh, and also some from the older series. So I did get to do some interviews, but the bulk of the work was done on YouTube. So that was very, very helpful and budget friendly and all that.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned this question of class and how these new forms are allowing for new Conversations about social issues in, in contemporary Senegal, and your last two chapters really bring that up. This this um, question of class is also linked to audience. Who for whom are these productions made? Um, who is watching them? Who is consuming them? Um, how does this issue of class and audience come into play in your final chapter, which talks about the théâtre populaire in Senegal?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, you're, yeah, that's true. That is a big theme in that chapter. I almost forgot about that. But, and I think, uh, you know, part of the reason for that is because uh, popular theater in Senegal is something that's, um, hmm, what can I say about it? I, I can say that it is, uh, it is uh, a, a, an approach to theater, or a kind of theater that has a broader appeal. I think that is, you can say pretty clearly because it can happen in Wolof, it can happen in French. If it happens in French, it's usually because there's kind of an ON, ONJ or an NGO that's that's commissioning a show, right? They play, popular theater companies, the, the, the successful ones tend to play this sort of double game of wanting to sort of speak to the people. Um, but uh, they also are open to commissions by NGOs to go and work on projects like oh, I don't know, family planning or hygiene, things like that, right? And it falls, it really does sort of fit in with these kind of uh, approaches of theater for development, what's been called theater for development. That's also been very much critiqued and criticized and talked about. That's definitely not limited to Senegal. Um but, you know, I had also the, the immense pleasure really of working that uh, closely with a good friend now of mine called Mamadou Diol, who, uh, who runs a company called Kaduyarah Yarach. Um, and really that sixth chapter that I've, that I've written is, is much of it is just thanks to all the time that I spent with him and his company. Uh, and he also has this sort of these different sort of hats that he has to wear, you know, as someone who... Uh, who is very much a politically engaged artist who um, will uh, do, you know, engage in kind of uh, activist street theater, for example, um, in his community, to which he's very tied. Um, But he also runs a yearly international forum theater festival in Senegal, which, you know, Operates on kind of a shoestring budget, but um, has has had has developed really quite a reputation for itself, and rightly so, uh, as an important sort of forum theater uh, event uh, in that part of the world. But not only so, you have artists who go regularly from France, from Spain, from all over, um, uh, and. You know, with his growing reputation, has also sort of created for himself a more international reputation by doing. You know, he's done residencies in South Africa, in France, and all over the world. And so, it's it's a challenge, I think, for artists like that to be able to speak to an international audience uh, that will typically be in French or even in English. Uh, that tends, to, that will tend to be a more kind of upper class, maybe um, sort of transnational cosmopolitan approach to theater that is perhaps not so closely connected uh, with an idea of like activism from below, if we can call it that, uh, but also trying to remain in that kind of engaged mode of activism from below. So uh, it, they they wind up having to be you know the 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 popular theater artists who work like that and Joel is really one of the strong except strong examples of this wind up having to be able to navigate several different sort of classes and cultures uh, depending on the project that they're working on and I think that's pretty typical of of those who work nationally but who tour transnationally you know they wind up having to wear a lot of different, you know, uh, several different hats, you know, if I can use that metaphor again.
2: Right. Yeah. And speaking of YouTube, I found a clip of him and you discuss this also in your chapter where he's talking about what it means, what, a theater of the oppressed means in the Senegalese context and kind of that alignment of, you know, that inscribes this practice of theater in this tradition of, you know, or, or in the context of the global South, you know, drawing on um, Paulo Ferreira and Augusto Boal's work um, in theater in, in, in Brazil. Um, but also having, you know, thinking about political, political activism and, and, and social engagement, through theater in the Senegalese context, also, so I can see how he's doing. He's kind of kind of speaking to two audiences, and and, and how they can work together at times, but perhaps not always.
1: Not always. <laughs> it's you know, and you know, it winds up leading to uh, a lot. Uh, you know, c- can lead to several uh, sort of. Um, disappointments from certain audience members, like a, a sentiment of disappointment because expectations are not quite, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a case where, you know, there's been a lot of uh, literature, I think, in theater studies in Africa and um, and elsewhere about the impact of theater of the oppressed in these sort of global South contexts. And that's what I talk about a bit in that chapter. And about how, okay, Augusto Boal came up with this idea of theater for the oppressed that was meant to be a kind of revolutionary theater uh, that worked to fix social problems, yes, but not in an NGO kind of way, uh, in a sort of like power to the people kind of way, right? Right. Um, And so it's been exported to these Global South contexts and sort of taken over by NGOs to be used in a way that's completely contrary to what Boyle had in mind in the first place. And so these theater companies are often talked about as a kind of failure in the world of theater of the oppressed or even sort of a monstrosity (laughs) that go against what theater of the oppressed is supposed to be, actually. And my argument is that Um, there needs to here not necessarily just be an analysis of what kind of uh, theater is being put on, but also an analysis of expectations that are being brought by the scholar, by the viewer, right? Who is coming in and expecting a very specific kind of uh, liberational kind of uh, approach to theater, that might not be what the theater makers themselves are actually trying to accomplish, right? That in fact, and this is what Jill talks about and a lot of other forum theater practitioners talk about is that they're just, they're using the part of it that's useful to them and then trying to create something sort of localized and new with it, right? Um, And that's, that's, that's part of what Jill argues. And that's what I try to talk about in, in this chapter, I, In that particular chapter, I go over a series of what I called kind of failed encounters with the expectations of the forum theater mode. And, and my argument is basically that, yes, these f- sort of failed in what, what's off, what can be seen as a kind of failed encounter actually winds up being surprisingly productive in many different ways that are outside the expectations that uh, one might typically bring to a performance of forum theater, uh, and so that's that's how I that's how I talk about it, just to sort of try to bring a different perspective.
2: You also, in this chapter, talk about your own experience as a performer with this group. Um, I, I thought it was a beautiful way to kind of conclude your study. So I'm wondering if you could share that a little bit with your audience and also how it's clear you really put a lot of thought into how you could situate yourself in this space while maintaining a critical distance and really kind of analyzing yourself um, critically as, as a performer, but also as an outsider, as a as a white outsider, Western outsider. In, in this kind of context of the théâtre populaire, um, so could you describe a little bit about that experience for our listeners here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this this was a, one of the you know fun parts of also this project. You know, and also in another example of me going in with one idea, and then things going in a completely different direction because I thought, oh, this, the, you know, in this project, I'll just go; it'll be great. I'll go and I'll be a fly on the wall, and I had this completely naive notion of what was going to happen. Uh, and anyone who knows anything about sort of African sort of cultural groups or troops or theater troops in African context, you know, there's a there's a very low tolerance for non-participation, <laughs> and so. There was only so long that it, that I was allowed to sort of stay in the back. And then I realized that that actually wasn't really the best way to go anyway. Um, and as I sort of befriended the troop and as they were sort of taking me on, um, you know, I became... A participant, you know, in the organization of their festival and also in, uh, in a couple of shows, which they had me be a part of. And th- that was for me, an interesting experience, of course, because as I, as I was a part of their show as, as, as for the, um, by nature of what I represented as kind of a, I guess you could say a theatrical sign on stage, right. The kind of um, access to whiteness that I, that I offered to the troop, which is is nothing new, you know, and it was, you know, dealt with in a very sort of playful, interesting and, and productive way. And that it was very funny. We kind of made, made a joke out of it. Um, and so, but what I, um, I, I talked about that experience, uh, in, because, you know, it was, um, this is the tricky thing when you start, you know, getting out of our kind of literary, based approaches, because when you are dealing with that kind of thing, you, you need to sort of, you, you need to sort of, sort of be quite frank and transparent and also in, include your own positioning within the context and the, and where you are into the, into the, into the study as anthropologists do so well. And I was trying to learn kind of as I was going. Um, but also I tied, I kind of tied that in, in my experience of, you know, being asked to perform this typical white person, which uh, I was happy to do, but I didn't know how to do it. They had to teach me how it was done. Uh, and so through, you know, a series of rehearsals, I finally understood. And, and then, you know, we wound up performing each of us this kind of, um, I guess you could say stereotypical or prototypical uh, we were playing these prototypical, sort of stereotypical versions of ourselves, I'm trying to say. Um, and this, in my study and in the context of thinking of this, brought me back kind of to um, the history of theatrical folklore, theatre indigene in the Ecole William Ponty, the Centre Culturel, uh, at a time when, yeah, people then were also being asked to perform their so-called natural selves, which in fact had to be created because they weren't really understood or they didn't really exist. Right. So uh, uh, I tried to argue, you know, sort of indirectly that this might be something that is a sort of a recurring theme in this theater that's connected actually to the history of how, it it emerged in the Senegalese context of of this sort of creation performance of, but also creation of one so-called national natural sense, which self rather. Which may, uh, which yes, appears essentializing and problematic, but in fact offers at the same time a certain amount of, sort of political, um, a certain political margin with which to play with different possibilities uh, when you're dealing with social or political themes. That's that was the in a nutshell the kind of argument I was trying to make with that.
2: No, I thought you did it very well. And and yeah, kind of your own, having that experience of having to play a, a role that is alienating, um, you know, does kind of kind of loop the circle, if you will, back to the origins of, of Senegalese theater and also your discussion of alienation, kind of thinking about alienation as, as a site of production, creative production um, cr- and criticism, which I thought was really valuable, actually, um, a valuable contribution one of the many valuable contributions of your work in in thinking about these questions. Um, So I also wanted to ask another question about Diol, Um, because we haven't talked yet about this kind of role of theater in the decolonizing process and kind of your choice of using the verb form as opposed to saying it's decolonial, but decolonizing as an ongoing process. Um, Could you comment briefly on on Diol's kind of concluding... um, comment in your book that theater is a Senegalese invention and how this is informing, um, your, 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 your study of, of the decolonizing process of theater making in
1: Senegal. Yeah. And, and I, I, I use that term because, um, I was finding that in each of these different episodes that I was studying, there was uh, an an I don't know an attempt if, if attempt is the right word but a sort of uh, yeah I'll just say an attempt to uh, address and often undo or at least adapt the kind of colonial heritage of theater as an art form uh, if we take it strictly in its Western sense uh, due to how it was actually brought to Senegal right uh, there is this idea. Uh, again going back to me sort of uh, studying francophone african theater and coming back to this idea that the origin of francophone african theater was at the école william ponty right and that was how theater went from france to uh, west africa and that's why we have it there today right and so there is a problematizing of that notion right that comes from other theater scholars back to Bacary Traoré, who was a senegalese theater scholar really kind of one of the first major Senegalese theater scholars who uh, said, no, that's, that was the introduction of Senegalese theater in French, because there are all these other forms that needed to. So before kind of the field of performance studies did it, Traoré was trying to broaden our scope of what theater actually was. Right. And, uh, and include, and, 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 encouraging us to sort of um, use uh, to, to use a more include an inclusive lens. Right. Um, and so, to say that Senegalese, as Joe does in this interaction that I sort of talk about at the very end of the book, that Senegalese theater, that theater is a Senegalese invention, is a way to push back uh, against the idea that theater was a Greek invention. Right? That that it is only theater; it can only be experimental; it can only be avant-garde. If um, if it comes from the West, right? So we're talking about contemporary avant-garde theater when we are seeing we seeing a stage work in Europe, but if we are in Africa, we need an anthropologist to explain it to us, right? Uh, so uh, for me, in that in that interaction, I was finding that Jill's reflection here was was kind of paralleling my attempt to to sort of think about this in a new way from a disciplinary standpoint. Um, and, uh, and that's why I, I talk a little bit about his notion of Sen- of theater being a Senegalese invention.
2: I really liked that quote. That really stands out to me.
1: Yeah, he gave um, me a real gift with that one.
2: Yeah. So I do have one last question. As I was reading this book, I just kept thinking about teaching. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Maria Maba. And we do have these kind of traditions of teaching the same thing over and over again in uh in, in many U.S. classrooms, it's but it seems like there's so much excellent material that you could use in your teaching, um, and I'm sure that you do. I mean, this is your field. But how could um, you know French and francophone uh, professors in the U.S. and and elsewhere draw from this in their own classrooms uh, to uh, to include more theater and performance in the way that we teach, um, especially? If, if these materials are accessible online today, how, how how do you do that and how could we do that?
1: Absolutely. Well, it's something that I try to do, yes. And um, that's, that's part of the reason why I made the documentary, so I could just have a way to talk to students about these things. Um, and it is also... Um, uh, one other way, and you mentioned it, and I think uh, I found it very useful in teaching, uh, is through the YouTube videos. There's so much available online. So, for example, uh, to show students when we're talk, when we're teaching, for example, une si longue lettre, uh, the t- TV adaptation of it, um, some of which is in French, most of it's in Wolof, but the part where uh, the the you know where is writing, um, uh, you know, her letter. Uh, is 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 in French in the TV uh, version as well, um, and so uh, that's helpful. But also uh, the con- sort of contemporary Francophone African s- TV shows and soap operas, if you want to call them that, are available online. Senegalese ones more and more are starting to include French subtitles as well, if they're in Wolof, which is brilliant and part of the reason why they've become exportable. So that's there's one group that I study in the book called Marodi Productions, uh, which has a website and they'll have several series that are available online with subtitles that we can use with our students and that are not only useful from a pedagogical standpoint, but students really like them because they're compelling. They're kind of, they're they're bingeable, as we say. <laughs> and so I've, I, I try to use that. And I, I think that also gives a taste of the kind of... Um, it's at least a feel for the kind of sort of cultural uh, aspects that we try to talk about in our class as well through texts. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, Brian, before I let you go, um, it's a tradition on the network to ask, what are you working on next? Yeah. Um,
1: Thank you. So I'm, I'm working now. So right now I'm working on surviving parenting in the pandemic and post pandemic (laughs) era. um, And that's not going so well, but uh, aside from that, I'm also working on, uh, just, uh, so, you know, I, I I talked a big game in this book about doing cited, uh, about cited methodology. Right. And I think, uh, I think it's an important thing. It makes my life quite difficult because it's not always easy to manage those kind of cited research trips, but, um, I'm hoping to expand, uh, my sort of, um, scope in the next project to a more sort of transnational one to talk about these Francophone performance venues, um, Uh, In in different, especially in West Africa and France, you know, uh, I'm looking at Burkina Faso, Côte d'Ivoire, Senegal, and Mali as well as I can, since it's not so easy to get to Mali these days, or at least to get funding for it. Um, But I'm interested also in talking about how theater makers today are are talking about what's going on in West Africa and France these days. I'm mostly interested in, you know, the question of the extremism of, uh, because uh, I'm finding that theater makers are getting really involved in this. So, for example, uh, uh, a Burkina Bay playwright named Aristide Tarnagda, uh, has put together, a, a stage production of Terre Sainte, which is a book by Goncourt winner Bougarsar, Mohamed Bougarsar. Uh, which they, his troop performs in Burkina, and they sort of travel to areas. So uh, I'll give a bit of context. Terre Saint is a book about uh, uh, about a sort of f- fictional West African country that has fallen to uh, jihadist rule, a sort of jihadist regime. And so this was written uh, a number of years ago by Bougar Sar, and that situation has actually Come to pass in certain areas of West Africa, like in northern Burkina Faso, uh, and so it's become a very pertinent stage work, uh, and that's that's being sort of toured in areas that are affected by uh, this these actual these actual sort of historical contemporary realities, rather I should say. Um, and so I want to learn more about how theater makers are responding to extremism, not just that kind, but also the far right kind back in France, you know, are there conversations going on? Um, and so that's, that's kind of what my next, my next project is, is hopefully going to be. That's my idea. You know, I had you know, we'll see where it goes.
2: Well, it sounds like a really inter- fa- fascinating and important project. Um, and, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing more about it as it unfolds. And also in the meantime, wish you best of luck with the parenting in the pandemic, because that's also very real work in progress. Um, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) But, uh, so Brian, thank you so much. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I was just reflecting before this call that the last time I saw you was pre-pandemic uh, and you were talking about your book in progress and now, you know, holding it in my hands uh, and being able to talk with you about it has just been a delight. So right.
1: for me, even more so. Thank you.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your research and your work and for uh, your time today and And best of luck to you uh, going
1: forward. Thank you, Manny.